Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. song. I feel his sweet, sweet presence. Amen. What a joy to be in the house of the Lord and in the presence of the Lord. And what a joy to be with you this evening. And we pray that God would just touch our lives. We want to continue to pray for those whose lives have been doubly impacted by yet another storm. Let's pray for the residents of Puerto Rico and other islands there that have been just devastated to say the least. Let's ask God to touch them and strengthen them today. Amen. would be the same thing as if it hit Florida again. Except our economy is much stronger and our resources are much greater. So let's just ask God to touch them and strengthen them today. Amen. What a joy to be in the house of God. I want you to join me in the book of James. We're going to chapter 4. We've been working our way for several weeks now through the book of James. And uh, I think there's something to be said about an expository approach to the Word of God. Just consider it verse by verse. I said at the beginning of our study and would uh, just remind you again this evening that the book of James is much like the book of Proverbs in the sense that there are many standalone scriptures and subjects and uh, and so it's a, been a wonderful journey, at least for me, in study, and I hope it's been a journey for you as well. The book of James chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. And verse number 12 says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? I want to speak this evening on uh, the subject. My subject this evening is the sin of slander. The sin of slander. We talked a few weeks ago about the power of the tongue, both to give life and to bring death. And and uh, we have to never underestimate the power of words. Forgive me if I am repeating myself, but I will never, ever forget sitting in a courtroom and hearing the judge sentence a man to the rest of his natural life in the Department of Corrections. It was just something about that statement that just seemed to pull the oxygen out of the room. The authority was... He was not standing in his chair, standing on the bench. He was not throwing anything with just his words and the authority to carry that out, the power of words. I don't have any idea. I'm very sad that I haven't kept a record of this, but many times, countless times, I suppose, through the last many years, 
I've lost count of how many times I've said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. By the authority invested in me, the state of Florida and the word of God. And we connected lives and just with a few words, power of words. And tonight I want to talk about that again, the sin of slander. Amen. Lord, I love you today and I thank you and I praise your name for the privilege you've given us to be here tonight. I'm just asking you to touch us. I feel very unworthy to be in your presence and I need you to touch my mind and my heart and stand beside me this evening and let your word be that forever settled foundation upon which we build our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated and thank you for standing. James said, speak not evil one of another. A more modern, perhaps, and concise way of pinpointing what James is saying is he is referring to slander. Slander is a very uh, brutal, brutish, perhaps, thing because it strikes at uh, someone's dignity. It strikes at the core of who they are as a person. It defames their character. Slander destroys, has the ability at least to destroy someone's reputation and that's the most valuable thing you have is, is, is your reputation. The Bible has a lot to say about slander and uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 19, I, I don't have every verse that I'm going to refer to on the screen tonight so here's just a reference But God commanded his people in the book of Leviticus. He said, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. And there's something to be said about someone that you can trust with things. And um, I appreciate the, the people that I have in my life and around me that can be trusted Um, with some things that, I'm not talking about sinful or illegal things, but just can be trusted. Uh, they, you, you can bank on them. You can, you can carry that to the bank, as they say. The seriousness of slander caused the psalmist David to make this commitment in Psalms 101 and 5. David said, Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Now, when the Lord starts talking about cutting something off, I want to kind of sit up, <laughs> scoot to the edge of my seat. I want to make sure I'm listening. And so he said, Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Solomon, following in the footsteps of his father, counseled against even associating with those that would slander in Proverbs 20 and 19, he said, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Uh, I have said many, many times in teaching on the subject and trying to example this, not just with my lips, but with my life, that in, in a perfect world, if we would just close our ears, if we would have closed ears to open mouths, they would soon run out of an audience. You want me to say that again? If we would have closed ears ears to open mouths, then after a while there wouldn't be anyone there. And I understand that's a real idealistic point of view, but 
there is some truth in that. If we could, we can either turn that flame up or we can turn it down. And so the Proverbs said we just don't need to meddle with those because if someone will talk to you about others, they will talk to others about you. And I'm not trying to, to breathe the spirit of suspicion, but it is a fact. And so I want to be very careful, and I understand that, that sometimes life, life requires of us to discuss some things, and that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm just talking about loose lips that sink ships. <laughs> In, in Matthew 15 and 19, Jesus identified its source. I'm just going to refer to this tonight, but Matthew 15 and 19, you can look it up, but Jesus identified the source of this as an evil heart. And um, I know that sometimes when we are involved in some loose language, we don't really think about that at the moment as the spirit of evil. But when we brush away all the fodder, that's exactly what lies at the heart of all of this. Again, in Matthew 15 and 20, he taught that this kind, of, this kind of rhetoric defiles a person. It doesn't just defile who you're talking about, but it defiles the source of that wellspring. Paul dealt with slander in 2 Corinthians. He dealt with it in the church at Ephesus. He also dealt with it in Colossians. And, uh, and so it has always been, and it will always be, and so that's why we must really build a fence around our heart and our mind to be very, very careful because I'm not going to ask you to stand or raise your hand or identify yourself with your driver's license number or anything, but isn't it true that most of us have, have found that slippery edge of what I'm talking about and you can just slide off into a conversation that you just, in a moment, you don't, you're not really even sure how you got there. And that, that time, that moment requires of us a decision. What are we going to do? And uh, so we, we have to guard ourselves, climb back out of that ditch. There, there's an interesting story. I've, I've always um, kind of been a little curious about this, and it's a story that has always intrigued me, I guess, to some degree. In the book of Second Samuel 10, the setting of this real quick is when David was at war with the Ammonites and some of their allies. And when the war was over and the king of the Ammonites died, uh, Hanan, a man by the name of Hanan, who was the son of the king, became the king in his place. And so David sincerely wanted to show some kindness to Hanan. And so David gathered a little uh, group of men and he sent them down to just check on him and to really console him at the time of his father's death. I promise you that David's motives were pure. And so he sent this delegation of men to console him in chapter 10, verse number one and two. However, Hanan, who is now the king, had his own set of advisors or his own set of voices in his life. And these voices said to Hanan, they kind of poisoned his mind against the motive of David. And they said, you know, you got to be out of your mind. You think David's coming down here to just check on us? He's not coming down here to check on you. But David is coming down here to take this land. I mean, David's a man of war. He's a man of battle. You got to get your head out of the sand. What are you thinking about? And so Hanan gave way to that advice and he listened to the men that were slandering the goodwill of David. And David, those men 
took David's servants, shaved off half of their beard, which was a way of just humiliating them. The second thing they did was they cut off their garments and exposed them and exposed their nakedness. The King James Version is rather more pointed than that, but I'll just leave it at that. He revealed their nakedness, and they were embarrassed. They were humiliated. They were going on the commission of the king, and David had nothing in his heart, no ill will whatsoever. And so because someone had dropped a little nugget of misinformation in Hanan's mind, he believed that. Now in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 10, on down as you begin to read that, when word of this got back to David, David told his men, you go to Jericho and you go there until your beards be grown. That's what the scripture says. And in other words, till you are restored, your season of humiliation is over and then you, and then you return. Now it would be very wonderful if we could just put a period at the end of this sentence and just say, well, it was all just a big misunderstanding and we'll let it go here. But it did anything but end here. What followed was a devastating war that ended in the defeat of the Ammonites and their allies. The very people that David was going to console now died at the sword. The question that's more important, I think, than the bloodshed of of what we are reading about now was where did all this get started? I mean, how, when you've got all of these dead bodies and you've got all of this blood in the street, when it's all said and done and the dust settles, we would ask, how in the world did this get started? Where did this go wrong? I mean, it was born out of the lies of someone that began to assault the character and the motives of David. And so now, what was the price tag of this mere conversation? It doesn't take but just a few seconds to read it in Scripture. I'm not sure how long the conversation was, but let's just say the conversation lasted a half a day or an entire day. Let's say it lasted a week. What was the price tag of this conversation? The Ammonites and their allies lost more than 40,000 men in this battle as well as Ammon's capital city was taken. It came with a high price, a very, very high price. You know, we can measure this because it's here in Scripture for us and we can calculate what the end result or what the price of this to some degree, I guess, embodies. How would you measure that in emotion? How would you measure that in all of these men who went to war one day but never came home and And so we have all of these widows and all of these fatherless children. And so the cost goes far beyond 40,000 people and it goes far beyond a city that was taken. And so I can tell you today that the price of slander just goes on and on and on and on. It's not a new issue. It originated in the garden. That's exactly what Satan tried to do was to slander the integrity of the Lord and to slander his motives. He implied that God was just selfishly withholding some information from you, Eve, and and if you just do what he said don't do, then everything's gonna be all right. The first recorded act of slander in human history led to the very first sin which brought us to where we are today. Think about that. It's a very serious sin, and it's a sin, I want you to hear me now, it's a sin God hates. And it is a sin that God hates will judge. So what we're talking about here this evening is a very serious thing. Very, very serious. 
So to help us control our tongues and to help us avoid slander, James encourages us to examine four areas of our thinking. And so I'm going to talk about these four areas this evening found in verse number 11 and 12 in our text. The scripture says, Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. That's for now, that's all I wanted that scripture. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. There is some intentional repetition in the language that James is using here. We find three times in quick succession the words brethren and then brother and then brother again. James is seeming, seemingly trying to kind of underline something and remind us that, that we share something with one another. He said brethren and brother and brother. We have something in common. We're family. And family should love one another and support one another and family should protect one another. I will say again, in this study, I've mentioned it several times, it has really been burned into my heart when Brother Myers, Elder Brother Myers, said that one of the things that they have really been strong on, and especially among the leadership of their church, but to all of their church family, was that they should always lift one another up. Lift one another up. Never talk down to or about one another because that is what destroys and lifting one another is what builds. And so we want to do what builds. And so I would say tonight that as a family, we should love and support. We don't always agree. You agree with everything in your family? Sure. Why, well, sure you do. We don't always agree. We don't always get along. We don't even always like each other. But we love each other. And love prevails at the end of the day because love supports. Love, charity, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sin. That doesn't mean hides a lot of wrongdoing by no means, but that charity that covers a multitude of sins and it protects. If you want to find out who's kin to who, just slap somebody. <laughs> Had no idea they were related. But you just slap somebody. And I'm not, I'm not speaking from experience and I'm not suggesting this either, but I'm just, I'm just speaking from observation that, that, uh, you just, you just strike someone, so to speak, with physically or, or what we're talking about here tonight and, and others come to their rescue. Why? Because families protect one another. Because love prevails. If Britt was here this evening, he could confirm this, that the most dangerous call that a man or a woman in his profession will ever get is a domestic dispute because when you go to arrest the one that has been the abuser, after a while the abused has got a pot and a pan after you because somehow love is a protector. And so James has a very, very sober warning recorded, or Jesus rather has a, a sober warning recorded in Matthew 18 reflecting the, the seriousness of slandering other believers. And that's really what we're talking about here tonight. And that's Matthew 18 and 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. Now this is the Lord. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now that seems pretty radical. But Jesus said, don't offend one of mine. Don't put your hand, touch not 
mind anoint it and do my prophets no harm. That's not just a scripture that deals with the ministry at all, but God's anointed is sitting here in front of me tonight. And so we should not touch God's anointed. That's God's that you're talking about. And he said it would be better if you offend them. It would be better that a millstone were hanged about your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. And if you can imagine that horrifyingly playing out real life in your eyes and in your life, then we would know the gravity of that scripture. And so it would be better, Jesus said, to suffer this horrifying death than to offend another believer. So we should never lose sight of the fact that our fellow believers are those that God chose himself before the beginning of time. He gave his life for them. He died for them and he honors them. And because of that, we should seek to honor them and love them and protect them. And so we would think now, okay, the, probably the very first step that I ought to do now is just make sure my lips are sealed. But I would tell you tonight that it goes much deeper than that because we don't need to just guard our lips we need to make sure our heart is pure. Because we can think all kind of things and corrupt our spirit. And so I want my heart to be right. Amen. Not, not just try to prevent the issue of something coming out, but I need to get a hold of the source. Because if our heart is right, then it won't ever make it to our lips. Amen. And so the second area then for us to examine is how we think of the law or how we think of the word of God. The latter portion of this same verse, number 11, speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So I hope you don't get lost in the language there. The next logical step in James' thought process is what we think about the law of God or the word of God. So since loving others is in essence the law, slander then is a violation of the law. And so we gotta be careful what we think about the law. More than just a list of do's and don'ts, that's how some people look at the law. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts, but it's the very things that govern who we are and what we are. And we all know that from time to time, the very laws that were designed to protect us sometimes pinch our own toes. But I would much rather have the law because we know the end result of lawlessness. And so the 10 commandments, if we think about the law of God, if we were to look at those 10 commandments as the law or the instructions of how uh, the Lord set out the, the platform or the principles of life and how we ought to love the Lord. I wanna just look closely, if you will, at the Ten Commandments, and I've realized that for the most part, this audience is very familiar with them, and so I'll hit them quickly, but uh, one writer said that if you look at the Ten Commandments through the lens of love, through the lens of love, that we can see something unique. If we look at the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This shows that love is not fickle, but it's single-minded, and it's devoted, and it's loyal. The second commandment, thou shalt not make an idol, an idol, and gives great description for that. Amen. This further describes that love is not just devoted, but love is faithful. Love is not only loyal in attitude, but love is faithful in practice as well. It's not just what we have in our heart, but it's what we actually do. The third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. And so this is a, 
a, a passage of scripture that, that reveals that love is to be respectful. Be respectful. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This describes love's devotion. Honor your mother and your father or your father and your mother. And this reveals that love is to be submissive to authority. Of course, we understand that we are to be submissive to God, but Paul also wrote that we are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Amen, that gets a little bit close to where we live But he said we not just to be submissive to authority, but we need to submit one to another. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul, and I I realize I'm swinging the pendulum kind of far here tonight, but just doing it to feed as a seed thought in our minds. But, But Paul said to one, he said, if eating meat offends you, then I'll not eat meat again in this life. And you know what our attitude is today? Well, they just need to get over it. They're the one got the problem. But Paul said, before I would offend you, I will just set this down for the rest of my life. That is submitting to one another. Amen. You you can be seated. (laughs) Thou shalt not kill. This expresses the value that love places on others. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This shows that love is to be pure and pure love would never defile another person. Thou shalt not steal manifests that unselfish nature of love. Love seeks to give and not to take. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. This demonstrates love's truthfulness that love would never lie about the one it loves but rather seek that truth would come to the surface. Thou shalt not covet, finally, expresses love's unselfish contentment. True love is content with what they have. And so when we look at these 10 commandments through the lens of love, this practical lens of love, it's no wonder then when Jesus was asked, what are the great commandments? I mean, he's asked, if you had to boil it all down, just make it real plain for us, And so without hesitation, Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to boil it all down and make these 10 into just one concise, precise thought, love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I understand in the last few weeks and the storms that there were a few knuckleheads that were looting and breaking into businesses and things of that nature, but I'm so thankful that they didn't get a lot of airtime. But I was very thankful and proud to be an American. When you see people that were just coming to the aid of absolute strangers. Amen. I'm, I'm going to tell you, it was a very, very, uh, a very refreshing thing to realize that, that uh, I don't have something, but we're going to make sure that you do have. I'll just say this. We've had a lot of help. We, the Florida district, has had a lot of help but the, the, the Illinois district sent down an entire trailer load, not a semi-trailer, but a, a trailer load of generators. Wasn't that pretty cool? We're never going to see these again. We don't even know who they're going to. What if somebody don't treat them right? We just, we're just going to put these in the hands. And you know that by the time they got to our state that most everyone, one, only one, 
only one pastor or church didn't have their power restored by the time they actually made it here and they were getting power that day and so they said just send them then to the Caribbean proud I'm thankful maybe the proud is, is, is a sour word but I'm thankful very thankful for those that say I'm going to love my neighbor as myself because you see this could be us in the storm again tonight amen and so then Jesus said, and I don't want to belabor the point, but then he said, in addition to this, he said, on these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the hinge point of it all. Everything hangs right here. The commands, the law, the prophet. James doesn't condemn slander only as a violation of personal affection, but he also said this is a violation of God's holy law. And so when I slander Brother Everett. I'm not just talking about Brother Everett. I'm not just chipping away at his credibility or his integrity. I'm not just planting seeds of suspicion in somebody else's mind. I'm breaking the law of God. Now I've taken this to a whole nother level. And so James says, if you place yourself above the law, then you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge of the law. Amen. Then the one who disregards the law of God in effect claims to be superior to the law of God. It has no rule over me. And so we have to be very careful that we see how James is pointing out how dangerous this is to open our mouth and lash with our tongue against one another because he said you are offending God and you're offending others and we are sinking our own ship. We are, we are destroying our own life. The third area that James is trying to get us to think about is, or consider is what we think of God. In verse number 12, he said, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou to judge one another? So by placing yourself or myself above the law, a slanderer, attempts to place himself above God himself. And see, we thought this was just a conversation. We thought we were just getting something off of our chest, but it's far more serious than that. After his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, I hope we have never forgotten this, and after his subsequent murder of her innocent husband, I hope we have not forgotten this. David cried out to the Lord in a moment of repentance. It is a very, very intriguing, passionate prayer that is recorded in the 51st Psalm. And if you haven't read it, it will do you well to read it. I promise you. When David starts talking to the Lord about what he has done in his life, all the lies, the adultery, the murder, how far out of control this has gotten. David never anticipated from that glance on the rooftop where that would wind him up or what it would cost. And David said this, he said against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. Now, I don't think, Brother Rayleigh, I don't think, Justin, that David was ignoring the death of uh, of of uh, Uriah, I don't think he was ignoring the adultery with Bathsheba, I don't think he was ignoring all the lying and all the scandals, but see, David cut to the heart of the matter and he understood that I didn't just murder Uriah, 
but I sinned against you. I didn't just have adultery with, commit adultery with Bathsheba, but I sinned against you and I have done evil in your sight. When Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 12 and 9 came to David and approached David about the sin in his life, when David said this, he said, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? He didn't say, why did you why did you commit adultery? Or he didn't say, why did you lie? Or why did you murder? He said, why, why have you despised the word of the Lord? Now the first phrase in chapter four and verse 12 says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. The Greek text literally reads, one is the lawgiver and judge. The word lawgiver are one who is one who puts the law into place and the word for judge is the one who applies the law. And so there is a lawgiver who sets the law and a judge who applies the law. And James describes both of them as being one and that one true God. He echoes the words of Isaiah 33 and 22. In Isaiah 33, 22, the Lord said, for the Lord is our judge, or Isaiah said, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. He is confirming what Isaiah has already said, the Lord is our judge and the Lord is our lawgiver. In Matthew 21 and 21, the angel told Joseph that Jesus was going to save his people from their sins. The sin of slander, James Warren, it's no trivial matter, I'll promise you that. It's treason against the sovereign lawgiver and the judge of the universe. And so in order to control the sin, the sin of slandering others, we must first recognize the seriousness of sinning against God. Amen. The final area for us to examine in our thinking is what we think of ourselves. And now we'll go back to verse 12 and consider the latter portion. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. And then James asks a very pointed question, who art thou that judgest another? Those who slander others portray an exaggerated view of their own importance. They have a, a real high and lofty feeling about their own self, their own lives, but I'll promise you they wouldn't want you plundering around in their closet. It's a stinging rebuke. And James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? In contemporary language, James would be saying, who in the world do you think you are? To sit in judgment of someone else's life. You have no idea. Romans 12 and 3, the Bible says, for I say through grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Anybody ever had the Lord take you to the woodshed? If you don't understand my language, you've never been there. But if you got it, you got it. And so he said, don't think too highly of yourself or higher, more highly than you should think you know, the Lord has the ability sometimes just kind of pluck us off that little pedestal and set us on the ground. And when the Lord sets you down, you've really been sat down. And I don't ever want the Lord to have to do that to me again. Who 
It's real easy to kind of get intoxicated on your own press reports. But the Lord can kind of pull you back down. Amen. Although God doesn't expect us to, to be gullible, He does not expect us to pass judgment on one another because, you see, only God can really judge because He alone knows the hearts of people. And so to judge a brother or sister in the Lord is to assume the right that belongs to God and God alone. Amen. So when we judge one another, I want to say it again, we assume some authority that doesn't belong to us. That's to assume a right that belongs to God. And I've I got to leave that in the hands of God. Now, obviously, there are times when people fail in their walk with God. Can I get a witness? Sure. But we should not judge them in that moment of stumbling. Nor should we refuse to help try to correct their behavior, help them in that. Galatians 6 and 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I'll promise you that if you were to be plucked out of the world that you're living in and planted into the world that somebody else is living in, you may be no different than they are. And if certain things were to happen or come our way in life, we don't know how we're going to respond. So, so the writer of Galatians, Paul says, we that are spiritual need to restore such a one in the spirit of weakness while we are bathing their wounds. We need to be thinking about this could be me tomorrow. 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 So we have an obligation to help everybody that we can and and we certainly should not talk about things that we have no first-hand knowledge of, and sometimes we shouldn't even talk about things we have first-hand knowledge of. I've said it for years, and I hope if the Lord will give me breath, I'll continue to say it, that if you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, bail out. Amen, I'm sorry I couldn't be more plain. We need to check out. There's a lot of things that we just don't know all the intricate details of. And so before we open our mouth and slander someone's character and sin against God, we need to back up and say, you know what, I don't have a dog in this fight. Amen. The law of Moses required two, preferably three witnesses before a person could be convicted of a transgression. As a matter of fact, Jesus and Paul followed that same principle in the, in the New Testament. And so we need to be very, very careful about spreading things that have no merit. Now, I'm going to use a real safe illustration here because it has nothing to do with anybody here, connected here, nothing here, blah, 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 blah. Just yesterday, I got a text message from someone that was asking me about a certain situation that I know about a certain situation. This is a very serious matter, so I'm not trying to just gloss it over. And, and this person had a right to ask what he was asking. This was not gossip. I don't want to say that or imply that. But before those that have a voice in this situation could even get engaged in this situation, are you with me now? 
more and more phone calls and text messages and the story has been told <laughs> never repeated the same. I said, if we don't get a lid on this, there's no telling what it'll be in a week because in a matter of 90 minutes, it's already morphed into four different things and no one involved had a dog in the fight. Heavenly Father, touch us now. It's human nature. Have you heard? Do you know? And I said to one person in, that was inquiring about this, I said, just think about what you were told. Think about that. There's no, if you think it through, there's no way that could be true. If you just think it through, there's no way it could be true. And so here we go. The law of Moses required two or three witnesses. The Lord and Paul, they followed that same principle. And so we need to be very, very careful that the Lord would help us to guard our heart, not just our lips, but guard our heart. And so even in cases that I mentioned a moment ago where we may have firsthand knowledge of something that's wrong, it would be much, much better. Please, please don't think I'm being cavalier. I've never been more serious. It would be much, much better to spend that same amount of time talking to the Lord. So much more beneficial. So much more beneficial. Instead of running to a friendly ear that's just gonna set something in motion that has nothing to do with fixing it anyway. I'm gonna ask you to stand, ask our musicians to come. You've been very kind. And so judging or slandering others is the opposite of humility. And I, I, I understand it's been a little while since we visited the book of James. But we closed in the book of James chapter four and verse 10, talking about humility and what that brings to our walk with God and our relationship with the Lord. And so judging and slandering is the very opposite of humility that James has written about in our study. Slander, by all means, finds its root in pride. At some time, to some degree, all of us have been guilty of speaking to somebody else about things that we had no business even talking about, and sometimes intentional, sometimes accidental, Sometimes conversations just have a way of the enemy getting involved and leading them off the rails. It's so commonplace to be critical instead of complimentary. You can always find something to be critical about, but I'll say by the same token, you can also find, always find something to be complimentary about. There is something satisfying to our depraved nature and our Adamic nature, the old man, about picking something or someone apart with words, especially if we feel threatened by them. So we'll just kind of pluck a few feathers and get on level ground. That's what we think. And that satisfies the old man. But can I tell you, we better be very, very careful of whose back we're scratching in this deal. Because you're going to you're going to find that whatever you feed, that's what grows. And whatever you starve, that's what dies. So we have to be very, very careful. Amen. So how do you know when we've crossed the line? 
I'm, I, I read this today, and so I'll just share it with you. Not original to me, but perhaps you've heard something akin to this. Someone came up with three questions to ask yourself before you say something about someone else. The very first question that we should ask is, is it true? Is it true? Not does it sound true. You ever heard this? I got this from a reliable source. (laughs) The National Enquirer always is quoting reliable sources. Always. But do you know this is true? Is it true? The second question we should always ask ourselves is, is it kind? Is it kind to the person that's being spoken about? And is it kind to the person that you're speaking to? Now, I want to pause right here for just a moment because I've had people lay some pretty heavy things on me before. And what they did wasn't kind to the person they were speaking to. Because they planted something. Now I got to get that out of my head. I got to pray that out of my spirit. I got to pray that out of my heart. I'm just being, I'm just dumb enough to be honest with you tonight. Because someone wasn't kind to me. Now I got to, I got to weed my garden. I got to get all this stuff out. So is it kind, not just to who's being spoken of, but to who you're speaking to? The third question, is it necessary? Will this help the person I'm talking about? Will this help the person I'm talking to? And what good will it do to say this about that person? Is it necessary? I think those are good places to start. I end with one final passage of scripture that I think is well, well spoken and timely words to end on tonight. David... said this in the 141st Psalm. He said, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity and let me me not eat of their dainties. Incline not my heart to evil things. Set a watch before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. You know, all of those things are proactive. You've got you, you to set those up in advance. <clears throat> you can't wait till the burglar shows up to install the lock on your door. We need to do that now. Set a watch, Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together. Can we do this? Let this be our prayer, not just a song we end with. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.